Well, thank you to the BC Voices. I didn't think they looked that old. BC? <laughs> I am grateful to be here. What a blessing it is to be amongst faithful young disciples from all over the world. I wholeheartedly embrace the international flavour of LDS Business College, especially given that I've been resident, my wife and I have been resident here in the US for only seven months. The rest of my life has been lived in Australia and West Africa. So I welcome all who are here, including my fellow aliens, as we are apt to be called on entering this country. You are welcome, as we would say in Ghana. You are each at a critical stage of your lives, but it's extremely unlikely that you will end your life on this earth feeling exactly the same way you do now about yourself, the gospel and others. You will change with the years. That change will be for the better or for the worse. And rather than just letting it happen to you, I strongly urge you to determine now in which direction you will head, how you will change. Things will happen in your lives to alter your feelings and your priorities. Those things will include friends, most especially your spouse or your future spouse, study, work, the media you watch and read, the causes you embrace, your hobbies, your health, setbacks and opportunities. In other words, you will make choices every day. Let me tell you a story I heard in Ghana that illustrates this point. There was a very poor elderly man who had a large dog that he loved. Unfortunately, the dog died and the city in which the man lived had a law that required all animals to be buried in a cemetery, a special cemetery, at the owner's expense. And the expense was significant. He couldn't afford the burial, so he placed the dog in a large old suitcase that he had and boarded a train to a country area where he'd be able to bury the dog without cost. As he lifted the heavy suitcase onto the train, a kind young man saw how heavy it was and helped him. He then sat alongside the elderly man and conversed with him. When the, when the young man asked what the was in the bag, the elderly man wasn't exactly truthful and trying to hide his purpose, told him it was full of expensive books and a computer. Then as the train was about to pull out of the first station, the young man jumped up, grabbed the bag and ran off the train. The other passengers called after him, but the elderly man did not give chase. You can imagine why. When the young man opened the bag, he realized that his choice had cost him his train trip, his reputation, and the cost associated with burying the dog. We too can easily make poor choices that are not in our long-term best interests. So how do we develop the strength to treat always as precious those things that are most important in our lives, not just our mortal lives, but our eternal lives? Hopefully you've discovered, as I have, that the things of most importance are to live the two great commandments, to love God first and foremost, and to love others as he does. There'll be threats to your determination to keep the first commandment, and to develop into even stronger discipleship. Let's look at what those threats might be by examining the temptations that Satan used against the Saviour 
in his attempt to counter the love that Christ had for his father. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 2 to 9, we read of these three temptations. There are many things we can learn from them, and I don't intend to cover all of them. But there are some aspects that I believe are most valuable for you to understand. The first temptation was for the Saviour to turn stones into bread so that he might satisfy his hunger. He had, he had been fasting now for 40 days and he'd finished his fast. So he was going to eat anyway. We know that he had the power to turn stones into bread. Later, he did perform a very similar miracle with feeding the 5,000. But the power that he would have had to use to perform this miracle was his priesthood power. Now, I hold the priesthood, as do many of you. And as such, I have the power to bless anyone in the world with that priesthood, member or non-member. I can lay my hands on their head and give them a blessing. But there is one person in the world that I cannot do that to. Me. I can never use the priesthood to bless myself. Its purpose is to bless others and not to be turned for one's own benefit. The Saviour understood this. So this temptation was a temptation against his integrity. One of the most important qualities of God. And it was immediately rejected. There'll be times when you also will be tempted to compromise your integrity. Decide now that you will never succumb to such a temptation, that you will protect your integrity with all your might and strength at whatever cost. The second temptation was for the Saviour to cast himself from the pinnacle of the temple to show the people his power and to receive their praise because he would be unharmed. This was a temptation to pride, but the Saviour had no pride. He was the epitome of humility. So this temptation too was immediately rejected. But we will also be tempted to be proud, sometimes without even realising it. We can be tempted to be proud of the successes that we achieve, of our abilities, of the assets we accumulate, of the positions we attain, or of the way we look. Always remember who it is who is the source of every blessing we receive in this life and of how fragile and slippery is our hold on those things that might tempt us to be prideful, but which are really just on loan from God. At most, we have a tenuous lease on those things. They're not really ours. Life, health and wealth are just some of the things we can lose in an instant. In fact, there is a powerful scripture in the Old Testament that speaks of this very point of fragility or slipperiness, teaching about the absolute folly in prioritising less important things over the things of the Lord. This particular scripture talks of the people's sealed houses, C-E-I-L-E-D. Now, sealed houses which were houses which were decorated with beautiful wood panelling, and the scripture compares those sealed houses to the house of the Lord. The scripture teaches in a very direct way the myopia of wanting to be in our own homes rather than engaged in the work of the Lord. In this case, building the temple. It is found in the book of Haggai. 
and teach us how futile it is to give our attention to things other than those things of eternity. Here is the scripture. Open quote. Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Close quote. It's a powerful scripture. I love the directness with which the Lord speaks in that scripture. Satan's third effort was focused on a temptation for the Saviour to feel entitled to all the good things of the world. Well, he was entitled as the creator of this earth, but he realised that any reward he would receive must be based on his finishing his work on earth. There would be no shortcuts. He knew that the way was going to be difficult, but that the results would be worth it. How often do we look for shortcuts to our goals instead of knuckling down and doing what's required to earn them for ourselves? As the famous mathematician Euclid said to the Egyptian king Ptolemy, who wanted a shortcut to learning Euclid's mathematical methods, quote, there is no royal road to geometry, close quote. The same is true for us in all our worthwhile pursuits. These three character traits of the Saviour, integrity, humility and hard work, need to be developed and honed in each of us over a lifetime. They don't come in an instant. His possessing them is one of the reasons we love him. And our seeking them is one of the ways we show we love him. And they are essential if we are to become like him. So I challenge you to make a commitment to, to yourself and to the Lord today to have these qualities, integrity, humility and hard work, become descriptors that others would give of you in the years ahead. If you are to achieve this state, you will need to reject any distractions, unlike the general we find in the Book of Mormon, Lahanti, when he was approached by Amalekiah. Lahonti had determined that he would not come down from Mount Antipas to meet with Amalekiah because he couldn't be trusted. But after many attempts, he finally compromised and accepted what he thought was a good and enticing plan. That word compromise is a word that we need to be very careful of. When he came down and agreed to Amalekiah's plan, he was poisoned by degrees by Amalekiah over a period of time and suffered death, his death leading subsequently to the death of many thousands of innocent people. The second of these two great commandments is to love others. But it's not just about feeling love for others, it's about doing something to lift and help them. We all need to understand the importance of people and our relationships with them. At the same time, we must also know that they have their agency to act for themselves. We and they can get stronger or we can drift to a lower level. We cannot force them. 
The lesson here is that we can't base our faith on others. We must strengthen ourselves, as did the wise virgins, the five wise virgins. Their spiritual strength was represented by the oil in their lamps as they awaited the time to accompany the bridegroom into the marriage feast. And we must allow others to choose whether they accept our invitation to obtain their needed oil to be ready to meet the bridegroom or not. In relation to your friends and associates, both current and future, it is critical for you to observe and discern their real character. Don't compromise on your own standards, but always be kind and considerate to others, no matter their beliefs. We should always keep in mind the quote that President Monson famously used, never let a problem to be solved become more important than a person to be loved. And the way that we show love to others is indicated by the Lord himself in verses 106 and 108 of section 84 of the Doctrine and Covenants. And if any man be strong in the spirit, let him take with him him that is weak, that he may be edified in all meekness, that he may become strong also. Behold, this is the way that mine apostles in ancient days built up my church unto me. Nothing has changed. This is ministering, not just ministering as assigned, but ministering to everyone and at every opportunity. It is always being on the lookout to help and lift others. It's what the Saviour did all his earthly life. And it's what Heavenly Father does by loving us and answering our prayers. In fact, my wife, Kay, who was with me as recipient, had a most tender and experience, a ten most tender experience of this kind some years ago. In our home, there were cushions on the back of our couch that had buttons in the middle of the, of the cushion to give them some shape. In fact, we had many, many cushions in our house, sometimes more than I wanted. As Kay was cleaning one day, she found that one of the cushions, one of the buttons had come off one of the cushions and she discovered where the button was. She picked it up with the intention of sewing it back on later and she continued her cleaning. After some time, she realised she no longer held that button in her hand. She couldn't remember where she'd put it. She looked everywhere, but she couldn't find it. Just then, our eldest daughter, Jessica, came to visit. She could see that her mother was searching for something, and when she asked, Kay told her about the button. Jess then said, Mum, have you prayed to get help to find the button? Kay answered that she wouldn't pray about something so trivial and unimportant. Jess responded, but Mum, you always taught us to pray about everything. Kay repeated her previous response that she wouldn't worry Heavenly Father about something as so small as a button. She continued searching and had the feeling to go into the laundry room and look in a rubbish basket, although she was sure she had not even been into that room. To her surprise, she found the button under some rubbish in the basket. She returned to where Jess was and told her she'd found the button. She then noticed a knowing smile on Jess's face and said to her, did you pray that I would find that button? Of course, was Jess's reply. Well, that night, Kay knelt down to pray. When she knelt down, she, she thanked Heavenly Father for his answer to the prayer. And she added the words, 
but it was only a button. It wasn't important. She was moved to tears when she felt these words in reply. No, the button wasn't important, but you are. It probably won't surprise you to know that she never sewed that button back on the cushion. Instead, she sewed it onto a lovely piece of material above the words. Yes, it's only a button. It wasn't important, he said. I said, rather. And then underneath it, but you are, he said. It now hangs behind a glass covering in a, ver in a frame in a very prominent place in our home. It has been everywhere that we have lived and it will continue to until we leave this earth. Our role then is to love others the way that God loves us. If something is important to them, it is important to us because they are important. I sometimes wondered why we even need the second commandment because if we live the first, we'll develop the same qualities and attitudes the Saviour showed. We'll feel the same love for others that he did and does. I wonder then whether one reason for the Saviour to have stressed this second commandment may have been because it serves as something of a barometer of how well we're really living the first commandment. When we lived in Ghana, we saw many signs for businesses that referenced Jesus Christ, our Saviour, or the Scriptures. In fact, it may have been that the majority of businesses that we saw had names reflecting the owner's faith in the Saviour. We saw them on the backs of buses and taxis and on little stores everywhere. But there was one sign that I thought was especially poignant. It was the name of a car repair and tyre sales business. And it read, this is the name of the business, God's will alignment. I thought, how appropriate. What a great motto for our lives. And what a great goal to have as we experience the opportunities, challenges and changes that await us. And particularly those that await you in the lives that you will lead. God's will alignment. There'll be times when we will need to walk in faith. Always nourish your faith and starve your doubts when questions arise about our Saviour and his gospel. There is nothing wrong with having questions. But when we reverse this counsel and feed our doubts and starve our faith, we can't hope for spiritual strength. I remember Elder Geoffrey R. Holland paraphrasing a French poem many years ago when he was in Canberra, Australia. I was accompanying him and uh, he quoted this poem. The translation of Guillaume Apollinaire's poem went something like this. Come to the edge, he said. We can't, we're afraid, they said. Come to the edge, he said. We can't, we'll fall, they responded. Come to the edge, he said. And so they came. He pushed them. They flew. My hope is that all who are here will have the faith to come to the edge when the situation requires it. 
to act in faith in following God's two great commandments, always and for the rest of your lives. It is only then that we will feel the power of God enabling us to fly. I testify that the scripture is absolutely correct when it states the commandment to love God as just one great commandment. In fact, the questioner asked for the great commandment when he said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second really is, as he said, like unto it, because the two are inextricably connected, as we have discussed. In fact, we're told in the next verse, and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. May you, both now and always, feel the importance of loving God and acting on that love including nurturing your integrity, maintaining your humility, and being prepared to dig in and do the hard work. And may you strive to look for every opportunity to love, lift, and help others. In these ways, you will face and move in the right direction to have a joyful, fulfilling life. And you will change for the better by growing in your discipleship. I felt that change in my life. I'm a convert to the church. When I was 23 years of age, I joined the church not knowing anything really and seeing others who had been taught in seminary and institute being far ahead of me in their knowledge of the gospel. I had a desire to catch up and so I studied hard every day. I had a hunger for the scriptures because I love my Saviour. I still have that hunger as an especial witness of the Saviour. I testify of my love to him and to my Heavenly Father. I love them with all my heart. I rely on the Holy Ghost in all that I do. Otherwise I could do nothing. I know that. Jesus Christ is the head of his church, this church. The Book of Mormon is a divine gift from God to enable us to know the Saviour and to understand his gospel. Joseph Smith was a prophet of the Almighty God. I have heard more than one member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles paraphrase the sentiment first stated by George Cannon by expressing the profound observation that no evil man could have written the Book of Mormon and no good man would have written it with the intent to deceive. We even now have a prophet on the earth in President Russell M. Nelson. He hears the word of God and acts accordingly to guide his church, the church of our Saviour Jesus Christ. President Nelson possesses all of the qualities we have discussed today. I know him. I have seen and felt these qualities emanating from him as an especial witness of the Saviour Jesus Christ, I testify that he lives, that this is his church, his gospel. We have all of the ordinances necessary for our salvation and exaltation. There is nothing else more important than that.
I testify of him and his love for us. I am in awe of the infinite nature of the atonement of our Saviour, that it covers all of us, all periods of time, all worlds. But what is even more powerful to me is the personal nature of his atonement. It is individual. It is personal. He atoned for me and for you. I testify of him in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.